Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, everyone, to the Story Box. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Storybox podcast. Glad that you guys are here today because I have one of my favorite doctors and a doctor that has actually helped me overcome IBS and SIBO, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, uh, by the way, Dr. Gundry was one of the first people to actually come on the Storybox, but I didn't get down to releasing uh, the episode, sadly enough, but this one is far, far better. Trust me when I say that to you. Uh, and I had a little bit more time with Dr. Gundry this time around. But Dr. Gundry is one of the world's top cardiothoracic surgeons and a pioneer in nutrition, as well as a medical director at the International Heart and Lung Institute Center for Restorative Medicine. He has spent the last two decades studying the microbiome and now helps patients use diet and nutrition as a key form of treatment. He is the author of many New York Times bestselling books, including, uh, but not limited to, The Plant Paradox, The Plant Paradox Cookbook, The Longevity Paradox, How to Die Young at a Ripe Old Age. I love that title. And he's got a new book out, which is no doubt going to be a New York Times bestselling book. Uh, it's out right now. It's called The Energy Paradox, What to Do When You Get Up, and Go has got up and gone. I encourage you guys to say that on a repeat basis. It's a pretty cool title. I love Dr. Gundry's titles. They're pretty cool. Um, But Dr. Gundry decided to prevent health issues. He retired as a cardiologist to teach patients how to eat, guiding them how to get ahead of the problem, not fixing it after the fact. He shifted towards a more proactive approach to health through food and diet changes. He's very well known for his diet, by the way. At his uh, waitlist only clinics in California, Dr. Gundry has successfully treated tens of thousands of patients suffering from autoimmune disorders, diabetes, leaky gut syndrome, which I had, by the way, heart disease and neurodegenerative diseases with a protocol that detox detoxes the cells, repairs the gut and nourishes the body. I think you guys are going to love this conversation. If you are struggling with uh, any autoimmune disorders, the, the disorders, sorry, diabetes, leaky gut syndrome, 
heart disease or any neurodegenerative diseases. Trust me when I say this, Dr. Gundry can help you. Uh, go and get a copy of his other books as well. Read them, digest them, and do the diet. I have done the diet myself and it has worked uh, in, in my favor, I should say, and I'm much better for it. We actually talk about that in the show, uh, which is pretty cool to actually get to speak to a doctor from afar, uh, how he has helped you and how his work has helped someone. I actually write about Dr. Gundry and he, how he helped me in my new book, uh, The Path of an Eagle, which is still in the editing phase, uh, which we do actually talk about a little bit on, on the show, which is pretty awesome. Um, but my friends, this is, uh, I can't, I can't tell you guys enough how much you are going to want to share this episode. There's so much wisdom, so much value here. So please do share it around to everyone that you know. Uh, it goes a long way in building the community. Once again, you can watch the full episode now over on YouTube. All links are in the show notes below. Really appreciate you guys. If you do share it around as well, before you go, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating review over on our podcast. So my friends, with that being said, it is time to dive into the story box. We're going to go into the paradoxical uh, spin <laughs> and learn the story and the advice from none other than Dr. Stephen Gundry. Well, thanks for, very much for having me. It's great to see you again. You're looking well and congratulations on your new book, uh, I guess in, in the editing process. So Thank you so much for, for saying that. That really means a lot to me. Um, Dr. Gundry, I know I asked you this at the very beginning, uh, like when we did our first conversation, but I'm going to ask you again, uh, what does success look like to you? Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, success uh, to me looks like someone like you, who, um, you know, we've talked before, saying uh, thank you for helping me figure out, maybe figuring out what was going on and uh, look at me, I'm thriving. And um, I guess that's success to me. Mm -hmm. um, couldn't and if you know if i can just help one person that's uh wow you know and so that's great that, that's what keeps me doing this every day you know i i see patients six days a week even on the weekends and on fridays i'm at gundry md my supplement company and so i work seven days a week and so but success is success is hearing from someone like you saying you help me do you ever get tired at all? No. And in fact, that's kind of the purpose of the energy paradox. You know, I'm now, I'm soon to turn 71 years old and, uh, you know, I work seven days a week and can't imagine uh, that I wouldn't do that. And yet, you know, what the energy paradox kind of came about um, by, I really wasn't going to write the book, um, but I was going to do a, a public television event in Southern California and um, was going to be interviewed. And they, they called me as I was driving um, to this event that the person who was going to interview me wasn't going to come in uh, because they, they didn't have it in her today. <laughs> and, wow. and yeah. And I, you know, and I'm, and I'm going, well, you know, oh gosh, that's too bad. And, um, you know, how are we going to get through this? Well, we got through it. But those words just kind of kept resonating in my head going, 
know, this was clearly a millennial. And, you know, they, what was it that they didn't have it in them to, you know, come into the studio that day to, to work? And I realized that uh, so many of my patients who I would see for a variety of reasons, one of the things that was underlying was this feeling of tiredness of, and fatigue and that in our modern lives, wherever we live, um, we feel that you know, needing two jolts of coffee in the morning and an energy bar in the afternoon and maybe another double espresso late in the afternoon is normal. And that, you know, it's normal to be, you know, tired and exhausted. And we just have to suck it up because, you know, we're, we're hard chargers. And that's just part of success. And it's not at all. And the book is, goes into why this is actually a warning sign to most of us mm -hmm. that um, being tired and needing all these crutches should make us kind of look under the hood and see what's going on. So being tired is not a natural response to having a busy day, challenges, that sort of, that sort of stuff. No, it's not. In fact, um, you know, I, I mentioned a, a hunter-gatherer tribe in Tanzania, the Hadzas. And the Hadzas, um, they don't even have a word for being tired, uh, number one. And there, and there are a lot of actually, you know, um, hunter-gatherer tribes that, that don't have words for being tired. Um, it, it's... It, well, just as an aside, the French didn't have a word for breakfast. Uh, their first meal was déjeuner, uh, which was first meal, and it was lunch. And petite déjeuner was invented for all of us tourists who somehow felt we had to eat breakfast. And, and of course, in the energy paradox, I talk about how what a big mistake it is for most of us to think we need breakfast and to even eat breakfast. But that's another story. I'm sure it is, which I'm I'm keen to get into very, very shortly. But I think talking about energy and, and fatigue and tiredness and, and you, you're, you're 71 years old and you work seven days often, a week, seven days a week, nonstop. What keeps you going? Like what what is your daily practice that keeps that energy alive? Well, um, part of the energy paradox is what I've learned in the last 21 years of um, treating patients in my restorative medicine clinics of foods, behaviors, timing of eating. For instance, um, this is now my 21st year of practicing time-controlled eating, um, I started doing this actually in the year 2000. I started writing about it in my first book in 2006, uh, long before anybody else had ever even talked about it. And so from, for instance, January through June of every year, during the week, I eat all my calories in a two-hour window from um, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at night. So 22 out of 24 hours I'm fasting. And I do that for six months. On the weekends, I take the weekends off. And just like in the book, you get to take the weekends off. Um, why do I do that? Because the evidence is actually overwhelming that it's one of probably the best ways to get more energy, which is a paradox. 
And it's probably the best way to extend your health span. Mm -hmm. Plus, I don't eat breakfast and I don't eat lunch. So it frees up a tremendous amount of time. Um, and my, we joke that my lunch hour here is usually doing a podcast, for instance, or writing, you know, my next book or, you know, researching. So it's actually very liberating when you think about it to not be constrained by the fact that you have to eat three meals a day and two snacks to be healthy. And we've all been sold a bill of goods about, about that. Which I'm curious about why has that been the case? Like in your research and your studies going back and looking at why we have been taught this and why it is so common, are you able to share why that is and how can we fix it? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. First of all, uh, breakfast, the idea, breakfast means break fast. That's where the word came from. And that would, you would break your overnight fast. And as I talk about in the energy paradox, we're actually designed not to eat breakfast. We actually have this surge of blood sugar in the morning. We have the surge of adrenaline. We have the surge of cortisol that actually anticipates that we will not be eating breakfast. And if you look at hunter-gatherers, they don't eat breakfast. Uh, first of all, they don't have any breakfast. There's no storage systems. But breakfast really got started uh, primarily during the Industrial Revolution in the late 1800s, where factory workers would literally work all day without a break. There weren't unions. There weren't nice, nice people. And so their family members would feed them something before they left for work because they weren't going to eat until late at night. You know, they, they, people would work, you know, 14, 16 hour days. And so that got established. But then in the early 1900s, the in the United States, we're responsible. The Kellogg's brothers, the Kellogg's Cornflake Company, uh, went on a massive advertising campaign that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. They and the United Fruit Company, which were the inventors of the Chiquita banana, actually paid physicians to tell people that breakfast with a sliced banana with Kellogg's cornflakes was the most important meal of the day. And now we realize that um, big food is tied to making us convinced that you know we should be eating um, three meals a day and two snacks to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And sadly, the reason I went into what I do now is I realized that you know sickness is really good for business. And um, I realized that as a heart surgeon, most of what I was doing was patching up, not really preventing what I was doing. And so, you know, I, I teach people how to avoid me, I guess, at the basic level. But yeah, so, you know, the whole big food and big pharma and big medicine is actually all very nicely integrated mm. um, into keeping us sick, sadly. Two questions coming from that. The first one is, why do you specifically eat 
all your calories in a two hour period from six to I think it was eight, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Why that time frame? Is there something special about that time frame? And my second question is hunger pains. Why do we get them in the first place? <laughs> great, great question. And again, I, I go into that in the book. So the reason I eat from six to eight o'clock at night is that because my wife and I both work. Uh, my wife works at 71 as well. And so it's the only time we have really together uh, is after we come home from work. And so that's the main reason. If I was designing it perfectly, I'd actually tell people eat from noon to two o'clock in the afternoon would be the best way. But you don't have to eat one meal a day because as I joke in the book, one eat one meal a day is called EOMAD or OMAD. But if you try to do it consistently, you will go mad uh, because, because it's, it's very hard to do. Hunger pains. Fascinatingly, I do not get hungry. Um, and my patients do not get hungry. But there's some fascinating research that actually has come out of China that um, is called the gut-centric theory of hunger. And for years, we looked at the initial theory of, of hunger was, well, your stomach shrinks down. And when it shrinks down, you get a signal to eat because it's shrunken. Mm. Then uh, a few years after that, there were hormones that dis were discovered that came from the gut that caused hunger, ghrelin, or prevented hunger. And that was called leptin. And so the hormone th system of hunger well, some rather clever researchers from China, as the microbiome and its influence on the brain began being looked at, and what I talk about in the book of postbiotics, which is a language that our gut microbiome uses to communicate to our mitochondria, our little energy-producing cells, and our brain, they took a bunch of humans, and put them on either a seven day or a 14 day water fast. All they got was water. They gave them 100 calories a day of prebiotic fiber. So that means we can't digest it, but the bugs in our gut think it's great. That's what they eat. And when they gave these people 100 calories of prebiotic fiber, they had absolutely no hunger despite eating for not for you know, two weeks. And their theory, which I agree with, and I talk about in the book, is if you give your bacteria what they want to eat, they'll tell your brain, hey, we, we're good. We got what we need. You don't have to go looking for anything else for yourself. We're happy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, um, really able to give you know, all of us some hope that you know, being hungry may be as simple as giving you know the good bugs what they want to eat and we'll be fine so it starts in the gut first and then it travels to your mind and then your mind's telling you you need food but that's really just a trick yeah for instance we know that there are there's good bugs and bad bugs in our microbiome. And I, I call the good guys gut buddies and I call the bad guys gang members. <laughs> and, we've, and we've known actually for a number of years that the gang members like simple sugars and they love saturated fats. The good guys basically like fiber, indigestible fiber. And 
they really don't like simple sugars and fats. So we've known for years that we could take uh, poop from fat individuals and give it to rats who are skinny. Uh, rats will eat poop. They love poop. Um, and they'll become fat because the obesogenic bugs, the gang members, actually hijack these rats' brains to make them go seek out sugars and fats. And we can, it's even been done in human uh, fecal transplants. Uh, I wrote about this in, in my previous books, where you could take a fecal transplant from a fat individual and give it to a skinny marathon runner, in one example that was published in Lancet. And the skinny marathon runner gained 30 pounds in a year just because her microbiome actually took over her brain and made her eat different foods. Wow. And some of us, you know, some of us smart humans go, you know, I don't like this idea that these little one cell organisms are, are controlling, you know, this, the, the marvelous invention that's a human brain. But in fact, most of our fate, most of our energy is actually coming from what's happening with our microbiome. Mm. In, the book, in the book, The Energy Paradox is going, okay, we know all this now. Okay, here's, here's the fixes we're going to do. So talking about all that, you've done a lot of research, a lot of uh, deep dive into all these, these information, these studies, which is, is very admirable to do. There are so many other doctors and scientists and you know, nutritionists and all that sort of stuff that kind of do a very similar thing. And I'm always curious, okay, I, I trust your method, Dr. Gundry, because it's helped me as in a personal way. How can, how can we know for a fact that your work is true for the skeptics out there? Sure. Well, I think there's a couple of ways. First of all, I'm actually one of the few authors in the popular nutrition field that actually sees patients. Um, so many people who may have an MD after their name uh, have never seen a human pa patient. Uh, we call it the practice of medicine for a reason. And because you have to practice. If I, I may have a great theory on what you know my research in the lab showed, mm. but I have to then, okay, I want 100 of you to try this, and I want to draw blood on you every three months. And I'm going to publish my results in you know, peer-reviewed journals. So I think that's number one. Number two, um, there are lots of ways to skin a cat in terms of nutrition. And one of the things in this book that I talk about is it's actually very true that if you eat one form of food, what I call a mono diet, whether it's, for instance, the Duke rice diet, which is basically all you eat is rice, uh, the cabbage soup diet, where all you eat is cabbage soup, the egg diet, the carnivore diet, the keto diet, where all you eat is basically fat. Mm. All of these diets give your mitochondria, the energy producing organelles in all of our cells, 
one basic food group to use, whether it's sugar from carbohydrates, whether it's protein from uh, amino acids from protein, or whether it's fats. And mitochondria are really good at using these one at a time. And it's kind of like, um, give you an example of a highway, which I use um, in, in Italy uh, on the Autostrasse. On Sundays, you're not allowed to have a truck on the road. And all other days, trucks can be on the road. I can tell you that driving on the you know, freeway system in Italy is a whole lot more enjoyable on Sundays because we've eliminated you know, these big, slow-moving trucks. And it's the same way if we give our mitochondria just one thing. In other words, just cars are going to go in the mitochondria and no buses and no trucks. Things move extremely freely and we produce energy. Mm. And so all of these mono diets work initially, and there's no doubt that they work. Good published data. But what happens is mono diets almost universally fail for two reasons. Number one, boredom. And number two, some fabulous researchers, and I don't think I have their book nearby. Some fabulous researchers from the University of Sydney, mm. a book called Eat Like the Animals, have shown that we all have um, sensors that seek out a certain amount of carbohydrates, a certain amount of fat, and a certain amount of protein. And yes, we can ignore those sensors for a period of time, but eventually those your cravings will just do you in. Mm. Now, why do some people continue to do this? Well, it becomes a religion. And there are certainly numerous zealots in all of these diets. Uh, and you basically have to become a zealot to stay mm. with it. So what I do in this book, and it's the first time that I know anybody's done it, is, okay, let's take the benefit of a mono diet and for the first meal of the day, the break fast, which we gradually have people eat later and later during the morning, you're going to use either high protein, either a high carbohydrate or a high fat for that first meal. So, and the fun thing is you can switch it up. So today you can have millet cereal with low fat almond milk and tomorrow you can have Canadian bacon and and egg whites. And then the next day you can have an avocado with egg yolks and you can switch it up. Mm. Talk about not being bored. Uh, but it's, so it's a really cool trick that we can harness. Mm. So talking about food groups and the kinds of foods that we should be eating in order to give us the most amount of energy to help us perform at an optimal level and give us uh, not, not give us mind fog, because I think we've been taught that, okay, carbohydrates, they give us energy, kilojoules, it breaks it down in your body, you know, but then you have the crash afterwards. So I'm always curious, okay, what kind of foods should we be eating that gives us the most amount of optimal energy to perform the very best that we possibly can be in a day? Well, so there, one of the biggest problems in, in the Western diet is that we've, We've taken, we no longer really eat whole foods. We don't eat foods in 
whole anymore. We've been able to break these whole foods down into simple carbohydrates without fiber, simple amino acids, um, and simple fats, and, and put them into energy snacks, energy drinks, smoothies. And what we've done is we literally have just overwhelmed our mitochondria's ability mm. to handle all this stuff arriving at, at once. And you literally get rush hour traffic jam in our mitochondria. And that's why for so many people, they may have a, a fast food lunch because, you know, everybody's busy. And then two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, they're falling asleep on their desk and they're reaching for the double espresso and going, what the heck? Mm. Well, it's literally because of this traffic jam in the mitochondria. So the, the point of the book is, and it sounds trite, but the more you eat a food whole, the better off you're going to be. It's a, and while I'm not a huge fan of fruit, as people see in the book for reasons, you're much, if you're going to have fruit, you're much safer having a kiwi, which is actually a low fructose fruit, than say a glass of orange juice. Um, that orange juice will actually depress your immune system and it will slam your liver with a large amount of fructose that you will actually inadvertently make fat out of rather than energy. In fact, fructose is one of the best ways to deplete energy production that anyone's ever discovered. Mm. Wow. Mm. I've heard about that. And, and they say like, you know, with fruit, they say you got to have your serving of fruit, your serving of vegetables because it's got all those nutrients in it. You know, you've got your vitamin C and your oranges. That helps a lot uh, your immune system. But I still get sick. I still have a low immune system and I'm still susceptible to uh, attacks. And I'm always curious, well, if I'm eating all this stuff that I've been told all these years to eat and it's got all the nutrients, why am I still getting sick? So... Well well, yeah, it's true. There were some very interesting papers done years ago um, looking at, actually at the effect of sugar and even orange juice on our white blood cell function, our immune system. And one glass of orange juice will actually suppress your immune system for up to six hours after you drink it. Uh, and I get, I get so, and I wrote an editorial about this recently, all these new gummies uh, with, you know, with zinc and vitamin C and echinacea. And those gummies have so much sugar in them that whatever benefit you might have gotten from some of those vitamins, you've wiped out because of the sugar you ate in that gummy. And so we, we've just, we've got it all wrong. The other thing that's happened to us um, is our fruit has been hybridized for sugar content. And I mean, for instance, a, a cup of grapes, now seedless grapes, and that's really not very many grapes, has more sugar uh, than a whole Hershey's candy bar here in, in the United States. I think you probably have Hershey's yeah. or something, or Cadbury maybe. Yeah. Uh, and you go, oh, but it's so healthy for me. It's, it's been bred for sugar content. Mm. And we just have to be really cautious.
I think it was uh, I was speaking to Dr. Josh Axe, and yeah. he was he was talking about uh, how certain foods have been designed specifically to look like a certain organ, and he was talking about how grapes they kind of look like the testicle, and how grapes also impact the function of your testicle. And I was like, I've never thought about that before in my life. But then it's also like you got to look at the amount of sugar you have in that fruit. It's like, okay. Is it okay though to eat it every so often so you can get that that benefit? Well, believe it or not, I've never met a man with low T who doesn't eat a high sugar diet and doesn't have insulin resistance. And these men are not suffering from an inability to produce testosterone. It's the sugar that's actually preventing the mitochondria in the testes from making testosterone. And when I get these guys off of their you know, refined carbohydrates and their high fats, their testosterone levels rise back to normal. I've never had to give a man testosterone um, as a supplement if I can teach him how to eat. Wow. Yeah, never, never seen it. Never I seen just it. just learned something new there. Okay. This is very yeah. fascinating stuff. So sugar is basically killing the population, killing us. Yeah, you know, we, we don't call it nature's candy for nothing. And, you know, it's right there on the, you know, on the label. It's nature's candy. Um, and we were talking with some researchers um, who've been studying great apes and how they use fruit. And orangutans, for instance, uh, w during fruit season, which only happens once a year, uh, will gorge on about 5,000 calories of fruit a day. And they will add about seven to eight pounds of fat. And they do that because the dry season, there isn't any fruit and there isn't as much to eat. And they lose weight. But the other thing that's fascinating is the female orangutan doesn't come into heat, doesn't come into estrus until she eats that fruit and puts on the fat. And then, you know, her body knows she's got enough fat to carry a pregnancy. Hmm. And so we're, I mean, we were very, we're a great ape. We love fruit. We were designed to seek out fruit because our design system couldn't have imagined that we 365 days a year hmm. would have unlimited access to fruit, no matter where we live in the world anymore. Mm. So for someone right now that is resonating with this and they're actually struggling with uh, fatigue, like chronic fatigue syndrome and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and they yeah. have no way out, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, so chronic fatigue syndrome um, is not the Epstein-Barr virus infection. It's not candida. It is leaky gut. And uh, I... I'm not the inventor of leaky gut. Um, Hippocrates, 2,500 years ago, said all disease begins in the gut. Mm. And he didn't have the sophisticated tests that we have now to look for leaky gut and measure it. He just knew. Uh, and that's because 80% of our immune system is actually located around the walls of our gut. 80% of all of our white blood cells. And most of us with chronic fatigue and other autoimmune diseases uh, have leaky gut. And it's caused by primarily by the foods we eat and by the seven deadly energy disruptors, 
among which are the antibiotics that we take uh, almost willy-nilly and the antibiotics that are fed the animals that we eat. Mm. And so most people with chronic fatigue, they are burning up with what I call the fire of inflammation. Our immune system are basically soldiers and they need large amounts of fuel energy to do their job. And when you constantly have an attack on your border of your intestines, you constantly need fuel for these soldiers to, to fight the battle. And what's interesting is they use up so much of our fuel that we don't have any energy left for our muscles, for our brain. And that's why once we teach people how to seal their gut by, among other things, taking away some of their favorite foods, um, we see when we can measure their leaky gut going away, we can measure their inflammation subsiding. And lo and behold, like we talk about in the book, Many times they'll walk in for their next appointment and say, this is the weirdest thing. Um, I forgot what feeling normal feels like. You know, I, this is what energy feels like. Oh, I for, you know, I've forgotten. It's been so many years. This is, wow. And then we look at all their markers and their markers, you know, are back down to normal. And I said, of course you have energy. Look, uh, the, the troops aren't taking it any longer. It's available to you. It's really exciting. And again, you started the show. Why do I do this? Well, again, having somebody say, holy cow, you know, this is what normal feels like. I'd forgotten. Mm. Right? Do you find writing this book to be challenging at all? Well, quite frankly, the, I wrote the book during COVID. And um, I kept seeing patients uh, during COVID. And I just decided I, you know, I wanted my patients to be on their best to avoid COVID. And knock on wood, most of my patients have not caught it. Those who did catch it, it was an incredibly mild illness, um, kind of feeling like you had a cold for a couple days is the worst. I've had a couple husbands of my patients who weren't my patients also catch COVID at the same time. One guy died and the other guy spent two months in the ICU on a ventilator and spent five and a half months in the hospital. So um, one of the things that we should know about COVID is that people with chronic underlying diseases, pre-existing conditions are the ones who are set up to do poorly with COVID. And when you think about it, if our immune system is down in our gut doing a battle down there, it's no wonder that, you know, a nasty little virus can get a toehold. And then since our immune system is so hyper crazy, we get this what's called cytokine storm where everything just blows up. Mm. And it all comes from a leaky gut in the first place. Mm. Yeah. So, but yeah, writing the book during COVID and still seeing patients um, was challenging. The other problem I have when, with any of my books is I, I tend to go down rabbit holes. Um, and <laughs> I ended up, as usual, going down a number of rabbit holes in this book and getting 
carried away with where the research takes me. And like where what fructose does. Um, I like fruit, and people say, "Oh, you're the guy who you know hates fruit." I like it, uh, but it's got unfortunately in our diet some mischievous consequences. I so, found I found going off into like different rabbit holes and going off on this massive long tangent was uh, easy for me in, in my own book. And it's kind of like, what am I trying to say here? Where am I going? <laughs> it's always that, that funny thing. It's like, okay, I've got to redirect myself back to the kind of context <laughs> that I started off with. Um, but I love that about your books though. Like they have, they have a lot of information packed into them and they're all, they're all so great. Like you, you can't just like in one sitting, read the whole book. You've got to stop. No. And you got to like write notes. You got to put highlighters. You got to put markers on them. And I do I do that with all the books, but especially your one because I'm like, okay, I ne- I need to make some changes here <laughs> in my life. So then I I, I always uh, like bookmark it so that I can go back to it and and revisit it. And I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on your next book, The Energy Paradox, because I think it's it's very needful in uh, today's society. Um, and I love how you mentioned COVID, by the way, the, the autoimmune problem. And that's what, that's what I've been seeing as well. Like if you just look at it, uh, all the people that did die, uh, sadly from COVID, the large majority of them had some underlining autoimmune problem or they were older and they couldn't handle the kind of the attack that their body was, was having on themselves. Um, so I have that. And, and, and the interesting thing is there was an editorial, I think this weekend in the New York Times about the, the paradox of why is it that the poor countries like Africa or a lot of the other third world countries, particularly in Southeast Asia, for instance, didn't have a lot of COVID because you know a lot of these people are mal, malnourished and COVID should have just run through them. And yet they actually didn't get much COVID. And that's because these people weren't eating a Western diet and they (laughs) didn't have leaky gut. They had a normal gut microbiome. Their immune systems were educated by their gut microbiome. And, you know, we're actually really designed to take on almost anything, anything, anything could throw at us. Otherwise we wouldn't be around. And, and so I, I think it's actually not paradoxical at all that mm. these people, their immune systems weren't distracted, their immune systems were well-trained, they didn't have leaky gut, and you would actually, if you think about it, expect them to do very well. Mm. And, and they did. Mm. So it's not a paradox at all. No, I, I, I have to agree with you on that one. Um, Dr. Gundry, I am mindful of your time, so I want to ask you a couple more questions, if that's okay sure. with you. Sure. Yep. Uh, yep. The cover of your book, actually, your new book, actually has coffee on it. I believe it is. It's not Coke, <laughs> so don't think that it's Coke. But um, it's in a coffee mug. <laughs> it's in a coffee mug. Uh, so I'm curious. Is and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this because I'm not a coffee lover at all. But is coffee actually good for you or bad for you, or is it like this? paradigm shift that you did it for a reason it turns out that coffee is really good for you um it (laughs) really is good for you in fact there's some very interesting studies um looking at people who drink 
five cups of coffee a day, and I'm not telling people to do that. They have a very dramatic decrease incidence of Parkinson's disease, which is, you know, a very bad form of neurodegenerative diseases. And um, in the book I'm writing currently, and I won't even tell you the talk title, um, you'll see why. Yeah. <laughs> So coffee has actually a lot of polyphenols. And if anybody's read any of my books, polyphenols are these plant compounds that are really, 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 really good for you uh, for lots of different ways. And they're really good for making energy. And so it's not the jolt of the caffeine that you're actually looking for from coffee. In fact, Turkish coffee which is basically boiled coffee, has far more polyphenols than any other form of coffee. And it turns out that Turkish coffee drinkers um, do well because of this. But you can get the same benefits from tea. Uh, I'm moving something a little bit because, so yeah, there's, there it is. there's the coffee mug. It's not Coke for the last no. time. <laughs> it's definitely Coke. What to do when your get up and go has got up and gone. <laughs> that is such a clever title. I love it. Um, Thanks. So where where can people buy your book, Dr. Gundry, and, and learn more about your research and, and work? So uh, wherever you get your books, um, all of my books have been international bestsellers and the English speaking countries have done have been very good to me. Um, Australia, they've been popular books. And so our Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but please, please, please go to your local bookseller, particularly now as hopefully we're coming out of COVID, you know, your local businesses really need your help. Um, you know, so. Mm. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy, like I mentioned before. So go and do that. Listen to Dr. Gundry. Um, he's helped. Yeah, you can find me on my podcast, the Dr. Gundry podcast. I have two YouTube channels. Find me on Instagram. Uh, you can go to drgundry.com. You can go to gundrymd.com, which is my supplement and food company. And, uh, you know, find me. And, you know, my, my content is free on all my channels. So, uh, He's not hard to find and the content <laughs> is extremely valuable. He still finds the time out of his hectic schedule to, to do all this amazing stuff. So personally, I want to say thank you, Dr. Gundry. My final question for you, this is my all-time favorite question. I don't, I don't even remember asking you it because I don't even think I thought of this question when ah. I spoke. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But being able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday, what do you want that film to say and to show about your life? So gratitude is how to have a great life. And the more you are thankful, the more powerful you become. Um, that's all I want to say. I feel like there's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Dr. Gundry, thank you so much once again for coming on the Storybox podcast. And let me throw the gratitude right back at you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.